0: The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Institute, Addictions, Grace for the Journey. Well, we are in the, you know, this is the last hour you have to watch me sweat, you know? You can really celebrate uh, that now. I have a new towel, a new clothing, new lease on life, and, uh, and really excited. This is... One of my favorite topics to teach, um, understanding temptation, the war within your heart, is the name of this workshop. And the best way for you to listen is to first apply this to your own heart. You know, it's always tempting to want to say, well, I'm glad my spouse is here. You know, they need to hear this. But I want you to apply it to your own heart first. Then you think about you know other people and and so forth. Uh, But I think that's the best way to learn. You know, a good counselee becomes a good counselor. We're all growing by grace and need God's intervention in our lives. So without further ado, let's open the scriptures to 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. The New American Standard Version of the Bible. It would help if I would click the slides every now and then. Oh, this is from a booklet, Understanding Temptation, The War Within Your Heart. I am a Switchfoot fan, as some of you found out last night. And The War Within Your Heart is actually a Switchfoot song. I like to kind of do that and have a little fun with that. My publisher always wants me to change those. She's like, Mark, I really don't like that. And I'm like, "Oh, I want to keep that in there. So... Anyway, we have a little tug of war, but I won on that one. And they edit you. I'll tell you, I lose most of those battles. But editing is, uh, you know, it's a, a fun adventure uh, to partake in. I suggest you do that. It really kills your pride. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that, that's the booklet, Understanding Temptation, the War Within Your Heart. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world nor the things in the world. There's a command, right? Not an option, command. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. When I think about uh, teaching this, <clears throat> you know, I was counseling in Birmingham, Alabama, and I had three different guys I was working with. And I thought, well, these guys are all gamblers, you know, so basically you give them the gambling homework, you give them the same kind of speech. You maybe even You know, I think an error for some of us as biblical counselors is sometimes we counsel people the way we would want to be counseled. But people think differently, you know? So you you want to be careful about that. I mean, AA is big on sharing its own experience, its own hope. But some people think differently than I do. I know that's a shocker um, to you. It is to me. But they think differently. So I have to counsel them differently. I remember counseling these three guys... All three were gamblers, it was really neat. At the same time, I had these three cases, and the first guy gambled for a very different reason than the second guy who gambled for a very different reason than the third guy. They were all three unique. And that's kind of how this this whole teaching arose. I, I thought, man, I really need to learn how to counsel the heart and not just deal with the tool, the uh, gambling is the tool. Isaiah 44, 9 through 20 talks about the tool that people use to carve out their own idols. So what I needed to do was deal with his idolatrous desires, what was really driving his heart. And then what First John two fifteen to 17 tells us is really these are the, going to be the three connection points with your heart and what Satan and the world have to offer. So how you're tempted, what, what's that connection point? Where, where are you tempted? And uh, that's why I really love this teaching, because it's just so helpful <clears throat> to recognize this, because you can stop gambling, you can stop using that tool to carve your idol, but then you pick up a different tool, and now you turn to sexual sin. And then you pick up, you drop that one, and you pick up another tool, drugs. Drugs you know, alcohol, whatever it is. And so people end up kind of jumping around from addiction to addiction to addiction. But it's the same heart motive, one of these three, or sometimes all three of these are at play. But I think what you'll see is one of these will kind of rise to the surface for you. So this is how our flesh is tempted by this world and our heart is the problem. I wish that I could sit here, and I, and I really appreciate sitting here, Craig. Thank you. <clears throat> this is my fifth one. The Vegas odds were that I wouldn't make it. Uh, and I haven't made it yet, but I've, I'm confident I'm gonna make it through uh, this one. Uh, Vegas had odds that I wouldn't be able to make it through five sessions in one day. I don't know if you knew that. They bet on everything there. Did you know that? And, I, and I'm part of that. Okay. Just, that's a joke. I have to explain that because Dave will run up and, you know, pull me off the stage. (laughs) Mark, we can't joke about that. Um, (laughs) I don't even know what I was talking about. Our heart's a problem. I wish I could tell you that you didn't have to worry about that, that, you know, Satan's really your big enemy uh, or that the world's lies, that system of thought, that's really your big enemy. But really, your heart is your your number one enemy. The great thing is God's given us the Holy Spirit to combat the flesh, the desires of the flesh, these things that are in us. So this isn't something that we won't be victorious in if we learn to walk in the spirit and not gratify the desires of our flesh. Galatians 5.16 teaches us that. But our heart's a problem, and Jesus said that in Mark 7. 20 to 23, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So it's not the drug dealer that's the problem, it's my heart. That wants what the drug dealer has to offer that tool for me to get my idolatrous desire, <clears throat> so now the world appeals to our sinful bent toward pleasing ourselves, so we have to learn to die to self it 's what every single counselee has to do right doesn 't not just apply to those that struggle with addiction but it 's for every counselee and for you and I, and then we have to Not only die to self, but the bigger issue, we have to live for and abide in Christ. So that's the goal, vision of hope. And the residential program is not that they just die to self, but that they live for Christ, that they walk with Christ. There's a difference in that. It's not just, the goal isn't just being clean and sober. It's living in a new way, in a a way that is, Enjoying and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. <clears throat> I love Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the flesh, I now live in uh, the flesh and the life I, excuse me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have to keep that in the forefront of our minds. And then just to review quickly, I'm going to zip through this, but addiction is a decision problem of the heart. There are physical components. It's not a disease. Uh, Physical components of addiction are visible, but it's still a choice problem called sin. It's just not a disease or even a theory of disease. There's not proof out there, scientific evidence that says it's a disease. So don't let people fool you with that. And you know, they used to say it's like a disease, now they say it is a disease, and then they, now they say it's a brain disease. It's a brain disease, you know? And uh, I remember talking to a secular guy who was a counselor and he was teaching and he, he presented this, first time I'd heard it, it's been years ago, and I said, well, if it's a brain disease, how are you dealing with it any differently now that you know it's a brain disease and not just a disease? And he said, we don't, we don't deal with it any differently. We do the same old things, you know? So, I mean, they're just trying to make it more of a medical problem that requires their expertise because they get paid big buckaroos to do that. So don't be fooled by that. Easy there. Okay, choices. Choices in three areas. Thoughts, words, and actions. And there's some scriptures there that, that point to that, but... Being, it not being a disease, I want to make sure that everybody understands this is a choice problem in my heart and the three common temptations are found in four places in Scripture we read 1 John two fifteen and 17 and we're going to read these other places in just a minute <clears throat> but four places in Scripture this is talked about and I just find it very helpful to study this Now, the world system and Satan entice us. We're like fish. Uh, We're going for the bait. And I I butchered this analogy last night in the self-harm talk, but I'm going to get it right today, let's hope, by God's grace. My friend Bill Hines, who wrote Leaving Yesterday Behind, described it this way. He said, you know, our flesh is like the inside man at a bank robbery. The only way the world and the lies of this world and Satan can get into the bank to rob it are if your flesh unlocks the back door. And so it's an inside job. That's how they work together. And so Satan and the world entice us, but really it's our flesh that opens that door. And in our flesh, we have three primary desires. And the good thing is, I made them all start with the letter C. Like a good preacher, right? The Three Cs. Comfort. All right, comfort. This is actually to do. Covetousness. Say that fast 10 times. Covetousness. Oh, man, I can't even say it once. (laughs) To have, and then control. Control, to be. So to do, to have, and to be. It's like a Burger King commercial, isn't it? Have it your way. You know, you can do anything you want to do. You can have anything you want to have. You can be whatever you want to be. Lie, 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 because we are created by God to do whatever he wants us to do, to have whatever he gives us to possess, to steward, we don't own it, and we can be whatever he's called us and crafted us to be. I mean, I couldn't be the CEO of Coca-Cola, you know? I just couldn't do it. I don't have the skill set, not crafted that, not called to that. So I don't think it's good to tell our kids, you know, you can do anything you want to do. And in some ways, yeah, I get it. Uh, the possibilities are there. But I think as good parents, we want to steer them toward their gifts, their passions, and really what God is, has um, created them to be. And obviously that'll change from time to time and down the road, and as they gain experience and get opportunities, but that's re- realistic. Now, Satan's bait in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And I, I just love that chapter. I don't love what happens in it, but I, there's so much counseling material. Uh, I do a whole workshops on that, but I, I, we can't get into that here. I'm telling myself that. Mark, you can't get into that here. You've got to just stay right here. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... Lust of the flesh, that it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desi- to be desired to make one wise, pride of life, or boastful pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, right there with her, guys, and he ate. And he ate. So you see all three temptations right there in Genesis chapter three, verse six. So Satan's bait is to do, to have, and to be. Comfort, covetousness, control. Let's talk about the first one here, lust of the flesh. Now we're getting into the the meat of this. I just love this. You probably can't tell, because this is my fifth workshop, and Vegas said I wouldn't make it, but <clears throat> I just think that's a funny joke, Craig. Oh, Craig's gone. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> Woo. Oh, we're videoing. Crap. Mm. <laughs> oh, boy. Lost of flesh. Before I get into this, I do want to say something. In the next six months, I'm hoping to launch... Kind of a replacement for Celebrate Recovery and, and something for churches to do that you could maybe even um, use, uh, I don't know the, how the technology, but um, to get a password and get into and, and do in your local church and watch some videos and, and do that. So we're hoping to do that in the next six months or so. So stay in touch with me. Um, I've got my cards. I'll put some of them out on the IBCD table. And you can get some of those, but feel free to contact me and hopefully we'll have that. I say that because I've been working on it for six years, but (laughs) this is the year. 20, what year is it? 2017. Yeah. So yeah, time flies when you're having fun. I am, we're working on a human trafficking project at Faith Lafayette. And, um, you know, you can just pray for us there. It's really tough because we're working with the state and trying to, you know, make, make the language work with what they require and, you know, and different things. They, so anyway, working on that, that's only a two and a half million dollar project. The application was 200 pages long, but I'm not bitter about that. Okay, maybe a little bit. But I would rather write a book than write a 200 page application to the state of Indiana, for a human trafficking program. But maybe this will help girls. I I certainly hope they license us, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. Okay. Lust of the flesh. Are you ready? This is really good stuff. You're, You're going to like this. You're going to really like this. Okay. Lust of the flesh. To do. Comfort. Comfort. It's a temptation to do anything you want to do without limits. And you're going to see that no limits a couple of more times with the other two. So um, and it's a temptation really, you know in Genesis three one, it starts with God was Satan asking a question, did God really say, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? you know and and if you read Genesis two sixteen, God talks to Adam, and he says, and Eve's not there, by the way. So this is really on Adam's shoulders. But he says to Adam, you can eat from all the trees in the garden, but that tree in the middle, that's going to kill you. You know, basically, you will surely die. So Satan starts with a negative. Did God really say you you, you can't eat of any tree in the garden? I mean, he's he's projecting a negative. God said, eat from all the trees, but there's one that's going to kill you. And Satan says, did he say really, did he really put limits on you? Did he really do that? I mean, how dare he? He thinks he's God or something, you know, Uh, that kind of thing. And so this is a desire to satisfy a physical craving in the wrong way. It's a consuming desire to experience pleasure. So the when the woman when so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw that it was good for food. So she's she's wanting to experience pleasure here. And ultimately, this is really an accusation against God's goodness. It's so funny it says good for food, but it's I think the attribute of God that's challenged for people who are struggling with lust of the flesh in that moment it's they're not believing that God's good, that God's way is good, that God's plan is good, that God himself is good. They're doubting God, which is what Satan wants, right? He just wants you to doubt. Just doubt just a little bit. Just put a little seed of doubt into your mind and uh, so that you will not do what God requires. And so God's goodness and love are challenged. God's holding back his best for you. His provision is not as good as it could be. And then oftentimes with addiction, I feel lonely. I feel tired. I feel sad. So I know how to satisfy this. I know how to fix this emotional state that I'm in. And that's the the desire of the heart. I can fix this in a way that will satisfy me. I have a picture that I put up in one of the workshops on addiction-proof parenting of a little boy who's, you know, eight years old, and he says, mom, I'm sad, can I play the Wii? Can I play the video game? In other words, I'm sad, but I know how to fix this, if you'll let me play the video game, well... What's he learning? He's not smoking crack at eight. He's not doing heroin, right? So should we get all worked up about that? Or should we, as a parent, think about, you know what? I need to teach him how to go to God. I need to teach him how to think about serving others. I need to teach him a lesson here that is eternal. Rather than just trying to placate his desire. See, we're raising generations of people who are addicted because they're just living for self. And we've got to train them up to think differently, to think about serving as good. Some people don't even want to work an eight-hour day. They have the audacity to make me work eight hours a day. So I just walked out of that job, you know? It's amazing. <clears throat> and so we want to teach them to think differently about uh, work and about these things and, and even about the pain, you know that God never wastes our pain. Now if you'll turn to Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four, verse three. I have it here on my little phone Bible. Don't you love phone Bibles? Isn't God good? Phone Bible. I mean, it's right here on my phone, right next to my fantasy baseball. I mean, uh, <laughs> wait a minute, did that come out? <laughs> I'm in a fantasy baseball league with Bob Kellerman. Have you heard of Bob Kellerman? Do you know Bob Kellerman? Anybody know Bob Kellerman? Yeah? A few of you? Okay. He's a great guy, except in the fantasy baseball world. In that world, he's a wicked man. And if you're watching, Bob, yes, you are in that world. He is a wicked man. But I can't beat him. You know, that's what it is. Okay, anyway, you don't care about fantasy baseball. So I'll get to the Bible. The Bible's on here too. And that's priority, especially in the middle of a conference workshop about the Bible. But I could tell you about fantasy baseball too. You know what I'm talking about fantasy baseball? I work with girls. I need an outlet. This is my outlet. You know, I work with, I mean, they're great, but they don't care. I start talking about it and their eyes start to glaze and (laughs) when's he going to finish? And, you know, and I'm complaining about Bob Kellerman. I mean, you know, it's very righteous. Okay. (laughs) Matthew chapter four. Now the great thing is it's in four places in the Bible and two of them are Matthew four and Luke four, which what's great about that is it's the same number because if it's two numbers I get them mixed up and I'm like was it Matthew 8 and Luke 12 or Matthew 12 and Luke 8 but in this one God made it both four so I mean I just love that maybe you don't appreciate that as much as I do but that's a, that's a blessing I don't, have to, I don't have to keep track of that in my head I got enough with this human trafficking 200 page application and all their rules um, you know to, to worry about or be concerned about. You don't worry. It's a sin. <clears throat> I'm on it. I am on it. All right. Humor cut. This is the fifth session. It's just coming out. I'm unhinged. I'm sitting down. I got nowhere to go. And you guys are in for it. And this is my favorite workshop. So, I mean, you're really in trouble. I've even got, I could even just read the booklet. I got it right here. You. So, this is, I mean, this is well written. I don't know. My favorite author. Okay. Besides God, Jesus would be first. Okay, wow. He is unhinged. My wife's going to be texting me in a minute on this phone. Stop it. All right. All right, I don't know where we were, but I think we're lost to the flesh. Now, the bad thing in Genesis 3, 6 is they failed, right? They blew it. But in Matthew 4, we get to see an example of victory. Victory over the temptation. Jesus, in verse 1, Matthew 4, 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The great thing is there, it's says not an accident. He's led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be tempted by the devil. So this is a planned activity. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, notice the identity statement or qualification there, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So, you know, in, in the South, I'm just going to tell jokes. In the South, <clears throat> I, was, I was sitting there in my mind going, do I need to crack another joke? And I'm like, I, I can't help it. I just, you know, I'm a victim of jokes. <laughs> but <clears throat> after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's how we say it in, uh, at Auburn, in Alabama, right? Hungry. They're nodding their heads. Everyone else in here is like, they're just, they've got this dazed, confused look. You're, mad, you're, hangry. you're hangry, yeah. Well, there, this, Jesus is hungry, 40 days and 40 nights, all right? His feeling is real. This isn't some make-believe tale. He is really, really hungry. 40 days and 40 nights. Has any of, have any of you gone? Well, you don't have to raise your hand, but 40 days and 40 nights is a long time without food. So the tempter comes in his moment of physical weakness. So your counselee is going to have a moment of physical weakness. They're tempted, this is why AA does a good job, they give you 24-hour access to someone who is supposedly more mature than you, and you can call them for help. And they usually meet at Denny's, or somewhere that's open 24-7, and they have a cup of coffee or you know, a Grand Slam meal or whatever, um, usually the Grand Slam meal. But they call, and they meet, and they talk, and they, and they get through the temptation. But there's a real physical need here and you need to see that because the tempter's coming and he says if you're the son of God if this is really who you are if God really loves you God really wants his good for you command these stones to become Sister Schubert's rolls of bread. Have you all, do you all have Sister Schubert? Raise your hand if you've had Sister Schubert's I know you guys have. Yeah well boy you're missing out oh man it might be at Costco are they at Costco yeah Yeah, they're at Costco see and there's a Costco right down the road I mean you might want to break into Costco to get these they're really that good sister Schubert's rolls are worth it I'm telling you they don't even need butter but I didn't eat supper can you tell I didn't eat dinner so if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become... And I don't think of loaves of bread. You know, I'm not really a bread guy. Um, more of a cake, donuts, <laughs> that kind of guy. But my wife does love bread. But I'm talking about he could make it into the best bread in the world, right? And so that's Satan's temptation. Fix your physical... You're really hungry. Doesn't God love you? Isn't, isn't, you know, isn't God good? And Jesus answers him in verse 4. It is written. What's he referring to? The word of God. The Bible. That's how he's battling this temptation. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, you don't. Just live by your hunger, by satisfying that, but you live in a way that you are obedient to the commands of God, that you trust God beyond your own emotion, beyond your own ability to to change it, that is how you are to live. So the only antidote and the answer to the lust of the flesh is really the word of God. So you may have that in your fill in the blanks. Word of God. It's the antidote. You know what an antidote is. If you get stung by a snake, you need to reverse it quickly. So if you're tempted, you wanna reverse it with obedience to the word of God. Now, if the gambler I'm working with, he's lust of the flesh, I gotta emphasize more about the obedience to the word of God and knowing the truth, then I do some other things. To me, that's the priority. And help him to understand the attribute of God that he's challenging is the goodness of God. So that's the lust of the flesh. Now there's a second one, lust of the eyes. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? A lust is really a strong desire. So lust could be, you could lust after something good like a Sister Schubert's role, which, you know, well, I won't go there in my own heart right now. It's not time to confess. But uh, just talking about it, you know. Okay. Sister Schubert's role, just remember that. He's looking at his watch. I'm going to get with it. I'm going to hurry. I know we're, we're going to wrap up. Lust of the eye, strong desire to have to possess something. Something that ha- God hasn't given yet. And so Satan uh, is exclaiming to her in Genesis 3, 6 that Eve's not going to die. I mean, that's the bait. You can have this, you can possess this, and you won't even die. You're not going to have any consequences. So this desire to possess something God hasn't given yet, it's a, it's a compelling desire to possess something despite the consequences. And it's living by what is seen rather than living by faith. So it's idolatry at the very core. Genesis 3.6b says that it was a delight to the eyes. So the eyes are very important with this particular challenge. Very important. And it's a temptation to have anything you desire to possess, so possess is the fill in the blank, without limits, no limits. And it's an accusation against God's wisdom. That's the attribute of God, the the part of his character that I think is challenged most in this particular heart issue, this connection point with what the world and, and Satan have to offer. So God's wisdom is omniscience, is challenge. I see it, I want it, I've got to have it no matter what. I've got to possess that new pair of shoes or that, that new car or that whatever it is. And so in Luke chapter 4, Satan tempts Jesus Verses five through seven, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then, there's a condition, if you then will worship me, it will be yours. So that's the temptation, delight to the eyes. And, you know, Satan is the father of lies, so whether or not he has the ability to do this or not, I mean, we can't trust everything that Satan says in the Bible. But he's tempting Jesus to look, see the kingdoms, and to want to possess this. But Jesus is so wise, isn't he? And he answers him, it is written. Now he's quoting the word of God once again to combat temptation. We need to do the same thing, don't we? I mean, we're certainly not Jesus. We need to know the Word of God. We need to quote the Word of God. And we're, we're battling lies that are pulling our hearts that already want to go and away from God without limits. We need to quote the Word of God. We need to think on truth, tear down lies, and replace it with biblical truth. And Jesus said, it's written... You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. In other other words, this is a worship problem of your heart. You're wanting to worship yourself. You're wanting to serve yourself, Satan, counselee. But this is a worship problem. It's a worship disorder. You've got to learn to serve God. You've got to learn to find that it's better to give than to receive. And so the only answer is to serve God and worship him alone. And the antidote of the lust of the eyes is worship. It's worship. And, and when we say worship today, I mean, I hear people say, I'm gonna get my worship on, you know? Like, you know, I, I don't know. It just bugs me. So I, um, worship is me going to serve and praise God. It's not about what I get. I'm giving to him. Now, when I do that, he will bless me and I will certainly enjoy it and experience all the benefits of that. But it's not worship is assigning worth to God and sacrificing my time and my energy and my fantasy baseball team time to God and, and giving him my best, right? that's what it is and so it's not about serving self and what I can get and what I can possess it's about giving and worship is giving it's serving faith church does a great job with that they emphasize serving and giving to others and I just love that I mean how many churches have a vision of hope you know are willing to put up with that I mean there's a lot of stress and chaos uh, with that and that's just me you know We're not even talking about the girls in the program. So, I mean, they got to put up with me. But, I mean, how many churches are willing to do a program like this? Not many. Not many. So I praise the Lord for that. But the emphasis is always upon serving, worshiping, giving, assigning worth to something. Not assigning worth or trying to get it for myself, but me giving it out. Now, the third temptation, this is one all y'all struggle with. Right here. Pride of life. You're just a prideful group of folks. I can just tell. We all have all three of these. That's why I said that. We all have all three of these. You guys just have it more than others. No. Um, Pride of life to be. It's a love of control. And I'll explain what I mean by that in just a second. It's a temptation to be anything you want to be. And you want to make yourself into something that other people are attracted to. So for some of you, you want to be wise. For some of you, you want to be beautiful. For some of you, you want to be handsome. You want to be this. You want to be cool. You want to be, you want to be, you want to be. So that's kind of the idea here. But it's, it's, I've got to be in control of that. I can't let you see me be something else. So I'm not going to be transparent. I'm going to be something that I think you want me to be, or, you know, people pleasers really are plagued with this because they really want other people to uh, think highly of them. And so they've got to be in control of everything, every detail. You can't see me look silly or you can't, you know, see me do something wrong. So that's why it's pride of life. But this temptation to be anything you want to be is, again, without limits. And it's an accusation against God's sovereignty. That's the characteristic of God that's most challenged by the love of control or the pride of life. Satan encouraged Eve in Genesis 3, 5 to, you know, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's tempting her to want to be like God, to be autonomous like God in that way, to be in control. And it's a desire to receive praise and attention of others, a desire to be in control. Competitiveness comes out with this. In Genesis 3, 6c, it's that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So Satan, in Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, said to Jesus, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, notice again an identity statement, throw yourself down from here. Now why would he do that? For it is written... God will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Sounds a little bit about like name it and claim it, lab it and grab it. Prosperity gospel right here. You know, and I I mentioned this. I mean, I think people pray this way. We should pray for protection, but people often pray, Lord, today would you wrap me in bubble wrap? Would you not allow me to even stub my foot against... A stone. And that's that's where I think of this. I know I mentioned that before, but this heart is one of, you know, that Peter had. Remember when Jesus said, I've got to go suffer, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna suffer. And Peter said, No, no let, don't let it be. No, no, we won't let it happen. We'll, and what did Jesus respond? Oh, Peter. He said, Get behind me, Satan. Because you've got the wrong mindset here. The goal isn't for me to never have suffering or problems in my life or for people to see me as perfect. You know, do we want the admiration of people? Is that what we're living for? And what an empty thing that is. Just be yourself. Be who God created you to be. You don't have to be the pastor of the church. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You can serve people in your own home at the kitchen table by counseling or offering them biblical help. I mean, technically, you don't have to get certified to get in heaven. I don't know if you know that. But um, I know I'm going to be in heaven. You know how I know? Because Ted Tripp endorsed one of my books. (laughs) Right there, I'm in. That's just what I, right? (laughs) Oh, man, that's so wrong. I can't believe you'd tempt me to say something like that. But... Are we living for the the praise of man? Is that really what we're living for? And so that's what would have happened had Jesus thrown himself down. If a miracle had come and they, the angels had guarded him, guard, guarded him and not allowed him to strike his foot against a stone, then people would have followed him. He would have been esteemed. He would have been, whoa, this is... Incredible. He should have already been that way too, but this would have garnered a a, a larger following. And so how did Jesus answer? In verse 12 of Luke 4, Jesus answered him, It is written. How about that? The word of God, once again, three out of three. You think the word of God's important? It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And you can see this, it's in this handy-dandy book, Uh, on page 11 of this, uh, well, actually it's 18, excuse me, I should know that, right? You see this in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, I want to read it for you, out of the Bible. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from wilderness of sin, According to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children, and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to this people? a little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand and your staff, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so on the side of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarrel, of the sons of Israel that's what it means groaning and quarreling and complaining and because they tested the Lord saying is the Lord among us or not and Psalm 95 actually refers to this event in Exodus 17 come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the Lord our maker you know humbling ourselves before him for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand in other words he loves us greatly cares for us Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in that wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, there are people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore my anger. Truly, they shall not enter into my rest." So again, trying to take care of an issue, of a situation in their own pride, testing the Lord, uh, forgetting his love and his faithfulness and his sovereign power, and trying to fix the problem in their own strength. And so, those are the three temptations, and with the pride of life, the only answer is submission. Submission. It's a, it's a humble mind, a humble mindset. You know, if you're humble, you don't need to be humiliated. You don't need to be humbled. And it's the same root word. People love to say humble, but they hate humiliate. But humiliate is how you get humbled. Did you know that? I always pray, Lord, humble me today, but not in front of 300 people at IBCD. <clears throat> After that, but it's too late. I've already done it to myself. Um, No, that's pride of life. See, you should have caught that. good counselor would say, Mark, that's pride of life. And pride of life, the antidote, is doing the will of God. It's doing the will of God. Not doing my own will. Not trying to take care of the problem. Not trying to look a certain way. Not forgetting the promises of God, but doing what he has required. Now, how is addiction manifested? Well, let's take a look. With gambling... It's so interesting to me now to to apply this. The gambler who is at the moment struggling with lust of the flesh says this is going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy this. This is going to bring comfort to me. The lust of the eyes gambler says I'm going to win. I'm going to buy that new car, that new house. I'm going to pay off debts. The pride of life gambler says, I, I can't wait to tell my friends how I beat the casino, how I beat the system. I'm so smart. I want them to see me as smart. And so even though they're all gambling, they're gambling for three very different reasons. And you have to uh, recognize that because when they stop gambling, they turn to sexual sin. One of them is looking for comfort and pleasure. The other's looking to possess something, maybe Could be a relationship uh, deficit that they perceive that they really think they need to want, uh, that they want, that they need to possess. And then uh, some are committing sexual sin because of uh, the control, the, the idea of identity and so forth. And then drugs and alcohol, lust of the flesh. I'm enjoying a glass of wine with dinner. Or this just takes the edge off. Or I smoke a little weed to relax or learn to deal with my children or whatever it is. Lost the eyes. I, I got to have a drink just to feel normal. I got to possess normalcy. And I do that by having a drink. Pride of life. Opiates make me who I want to be. The, the identity. They help me to clean the house like Superwoman, she says. Uh, or they help me to be the man. I, I want to be confident at parties or whatever. And I often see these, all three, in stages of addiction where someone just tries the drug of choice at first. It's lust the flesh. Just want to try it, have a little fun. But then it becomes something that they say, you know, I got to have this. I got to have this drug. It, this is important to me. And, um, and then the third stage that's difficult, pride of life, is uh, this is who I am. I'm a pothead. I'm a party girl. I'm a whatever it is. And it becomes their identity. And it's really tough to counsel somebody who has gone that far that into the stage of addiction where this is their identity. So I really detest the whole I'm Mark, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm Mark, I'm an addict, or I'm Mark, I'm a gambler, or whatever it is. We don't have to confess that anymore, but we are given a new identity in Christ. So important. Such a gracious gift God's given us. And so in summary here, we're empowered by Christ. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. All of these temptations have been defeated by Jesus in Hebrews 4.15, now that's on page 11. <clears throat> <laughs> Hebrews 4.14-16, 4, through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, and I believe that every respect is seen in these three temptations, I think these three temptations are the, the core, most base uh, ways that we're tempted in, in, you know, in our hearts, our idolatrous desires. He's one who has, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And we saw the victory just then. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's our Savior. That's our Jesus, who just modeled how to beat Satan, and he used the word all three times to combat the lie of Satan that would have tempted Eve's heart and Adam's heart. It drew them into it. They gave in, but Jesus did not, because he had a kingdom. He had an eternal focus And the Holy Spirit inside of you gives you the power to will and to do what God requires. Isn't that great? You technically should never give in to temptation. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the Word of God to help gird your mind with truth. But we do because in that moment, you know, when we read 1 John 2, 15 to 17... When you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. I believe for a Christian, it's in that moment. The love of the Father is not in my mind. It doesn't mean I've, I've lost my salvation. I don't think we can lose our salvation if we're believers. But in that moment, my love for the world overshadows my love for God. In that moment. And so then we choose something like Sister Schubert's rolls. <laughs> or some other sinful thing. No. Identify the preference to sin in your counselee, but you got to do it in your own heart first. Recognize where you're tempted. Where are you weak? And then do you need to emphasize, maybe to your own heart first, one of these three specific solutions, these antidotes for the specific temptation? The word of God, worship of God, and will of God. Which one of those three do I really need to focus in on? And then ultimately, the goal is really to become more like Christ for his own glory. That's the ultimate goal. Oops. Word, worship, will of God. See, they're all W's. Isn't that great? This is so alliterated so well. Ultimately, the goal is to become more like Christ for God's glory. So the more I become like Christ, I glorify him. And we'll end with this. 1 John two fifteen to 17 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away. And also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your illuminating power by your Spirit. We're all sitting here understanding in part uh, what you're teaching us because of your Spirit and your Word. Help us to fight the temptations that are out there. They're rampant, Lord, today. For us, we're so distracted. I know I am. and Lord, uh, help us to focus on what's important on your kingdom, on, eternal, on eternity. Help us to be addicted to Jesus, to live for him in, in, in a sacrificial way, trusting your word, being obedient to that, worshiping you, serving you, and doing your will, not our will. And we pray that as we say our, your will be done, we recognize that our will be undone. So help us in that, Lord, we pray, as we minister others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Copyright 2017, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.